on this Lord's Day, we bid you a warm welcome as we gather uh, to worship Almighty God over this internet and CD ministry. We are scattered in different places, but yet we have come to worship the one God, the one God who is King of Kings and reigns supreme across the whole universe, not just in Rathrine, not just in Northern Ireland, but right across the whole world. With regard to our ongoing ministry, our plan is that we'll reopen our church for worship on Sunday the 6th of September at 11.30am. Plans are in place for that to happen and we trust that you'll be able to join with us. If for whatever reason you're unable to join us for worship physically in church, uh, we will still be retaining our CD and YouTube ministry, as well as introducing a live stream. So that means that you can uh, join in with the service live uh, on Sunday morning from half past 11. And don't forget that we also have our new church app. Uh, if you've downloaded, that's great. You'll find the connections within it. If not, we encourage you to go and download the app uh, onto your uh, phone or iPad or tablet, whatever you use. Uh, and make it easy, uh, easier uh, to find information uh, on our church and its ministry. Now today, um, I also want to bid a warm welcome to Mr. Stephen McElroy uh, from Release International. Uh, Stephen has been with us before and he has kindly agreed uh, to uh, give us an address today and an update uh, on the persecuted church. Uh, there are times whenever we sit and look out at uh, COVID-19 and uh, we look out at the restrictions that have been placed upon us, we look out at the effects of COVID uh, and sometimes we do grumble a bit uh, and we see that in the restrictions that have been placed upon us. We don't like to follow everything uh, and we think we're hard done by, uh, whether it be in church or whether it be in business or in leisure. Uh, and yet we have brothers and sisters in Christ uh, around the world and this COVID pandemic uh, has made life an awful lot more difficult for us. And maybe as we listen today to Stephen, it will give us a greater appreciation for how blessed we are and how good things have been and are for us here in our country. And yet, after we have listened to Stephen, May that encourage us to pray to Almighty God, to give thanks for our blessings and to pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted in various countries around the world or our brothers and sisters who physically are suffering because and as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and they've been a minority in their country. So uh, with that in mind, uh, we uh, bid uh, Stephen a warm welcome and hand over to him and trust that he'll be blessed as he comes and ministers to us. Let's pray. Father God, as we join to worship you in this your day, we thank you, Lord God, that your gospel uh, it proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation. And that message has come from the God who has created this universe, the God who has created this world, the God who has placed mankind upon it. 
And so, Father God, we thank you for that message. We thank you for the church of Jesus Christ that has spread across the face of the globe of this world. And Lord, as we look upon it, we know that as you have gifted different countries with different weather conditions, different resources, different cultures and different nationalities and different languages, Lord, that there are different challenges in living for you. And so we pray today, Lord, for Stephen, that you would guide and direct him as he speaks to us. We pray, Lord, that your blessing may rest upon him. Lord, that you may anoint the words that he uses. And Father, may our ears and our hearts be open to receive that message. And Lord, may we take to heart what has been said. May we realise the blessings that you have imparted to us. May we, Lord, ask for forgiveness for the times when we have forgotten about the persecuted church, about those who struggle to live out their faith. Lord, for those who pay a price to witness for you. And so, Lord God, we lay before you this our time of worship. We ask for your blessing upon it. And we ask, Lord, that this may unite us, not just with one another, but this may indeed help to unite us with suffering brothers and sisters in Christ spread across many countries of this world. So, Father God, we come and we pray these things as we expect to hear you speak to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Good morning. It's a real pleasure to be able to share in your worship today. My name is Stephen. I have the privilege of serving with Release International, and we are a voice for persecuted Christians. Here are just some of the countries around the world that we currently minister in. You'll be familiar, I hope, with the origin of Release International, founded under the inspiration of a pastor called Pastor Richard Vermbrandt, who was imprisoned for 14 years simply because he was a follower of Jesus under communist oppression. But when he was released, or ransomed I should say, he escaped to the West and under that inspiration came in the UK at least a mission known originally as the Christian Mission to the Communist World and that later then changed its name to Release International as it was determined that it wasn't just communist oppression against Christians which was evident in the world but that there were many oppressors of Christians around the world and you'll see some of them on the screen there at the moment the prominent green denotes Islamic societies where many many Christians are shown intolerance you've also the prominent yellow where Hindu extremists are very very against Christians and so there are many countries where believers are not able to worship freely are not able to get jobs freely are not able to live even in their homes freely. And so the call for us as believers is to, to pray for these people and to remember them. And so we cling on to 
I want to encourage you to focus on the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, where the writer to the Hebrews encourages and urges the believers in that day to continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. You see, in those days, in the first century, many people were incarcerated in prison because they were believers in Jesus. And in those days of the first century, many people were mistreated and suffered just because they were believers in Jesus. And in 2020, many people still suffer in prison, still are mistreated simply because they're believers in Jesus. So the writer encourages us to remember our brothers and sisters. Continue remembering them. Don't give up, as is true of much of the scripture, where it tells us to continue to pray, continue to ask, continue to seek, and not to give up. But with perseverance, make Jesus' name known. morning what I wanted to do was look briefly at the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament and as we do that we want to unearth some of the character of this biblical person known as Nehemiah and in doing that we also want to focus in and see the relevance that Nehemiah might have for us even today Two and a half thousand years later. Because the scriptures are relevant for us today just as they were when they were originally written. I want to look at Nehemiah chapter 2, just a, a brief portion of scripture. So please, if you have a copy of the Old Testament there, please do open it up at Nehemiah chapter 2. While you're opening up your Bible there, let me just give you a little bit of background to it before we dip in. You see, the time of Nehemiah was in and around 500 BC. That's very approximate because there were many things that happened during the 400s uh, BC. But 500 gives us a rough glimpse on a timeline of history to place Nehemiah. Let me give you a little idea with regard to the historical kings that are relevant to Nehemiah. You'll see them there. Nebuchadnezzar uh, will be familiar to you, especially from the book of Daniel. He was a Babylonian king and it was he that took much of the Jewish people into exile, including Nehemiah, including Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and many, many others. But the Babylonian kingdom soon fell to the Persian kingdom. And the Persian kingdom at that stage was ruled by King Cyrus. And King Cyrus had a very different outlook on how he was treating people within that kingdom. You see, King Cyrus wanted to encourage people not to forget their faith, not to forget their culture. In fact, he went a step further and he encouraged many, many people to return to their homelands. Good news if you were a Hebrew person. 
Further down the list there, you'll see Xerxes I, and in brackets Ahasuerus. He was the king that was in place whenever Queen Esther uh, was around. And so that would become prominent to many of us. But it's Artaxerxes I, the final king, that I want to focus on. And the reason being that he was the king that was around whenever Nehemiah was here. Let's look just at the biblical prophets that were around during the time of Nehemiah. You have prophet Haggai, prophet Zechariah, prophet Malachi, all of whom you'll be very familiar with, particularly because they all have books named after them in our Old Testament. And finally, the key individuals. Zerubbabel at the top of the list there is very prominent because it was Zerubbabel that led the first cohort of exiles back into the promised land, back to Jerusalem. In fact, it was Zerubbabel that was paramount and instrumental in the rebuilding of the temple of Jerusalem. This would be known as the second temple. Queen Esther, I've already mentioned, was around that particular period as well. Ezra, who was uh, a priest, was around at that time and was very prominent in his social reform within Jerusalem, reading out the Torah, which is the first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and encouraging the people to turn back to Jehovah God. And then we've Nehemiah. Nehemiah, who was a waiter, a cup bearer, a wine taster, if you like, to King Artaxerxes. And that is the situation that we find the book of Nehemiah starting at. But we're going to jump through to chapter 2, a little further on in the story of Nehemiah. Well, good morning, everyone. And our reading this morning comes from Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're beginning our reading from verse 11 down to the end of the chapter, verse 21. This is God's word. So I came to Jerusalem and there was there for three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one of my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode. And I went up by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of the God which had been a good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. 
Then they set their hands to the good work. But when Sanballat and Horonite, Tobiah and Amorite official, and Jeshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us, and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us, therefore we, his servants, will rise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Amen. Tough words from Nehemiah. I want to look at the approaches that we see Nehemiah implementing throughout this chapter. You see, Nehemiah had already gone to King Artaxerxes, asked his permission to leave and go back to rebuild the walls. Not only that, but he'd asked very courageously the king if the king might supply the building materials needed. And the king, who favoured Nehemiah greatly, gave him his wish and granted him leave of absence. Nehemiah, I'm sure, was very excited as he reached Jerusalem. It's probably the first time that Nehemiah has ever set his eyes on this historical city of his ancestors, the city of David, the great Jerusalem. And I'm sure he was excited. And we see his wisdom as he arrives in the city. Why is because he doesn't start straight in, though much inside him, I'm sure, pulled him towards that. But he decided to wait three days, which is actually the same as Ezra, the priest, when he returned, waited three days as well. And all this time was putting wisdom into place. Wise because he didn't rush into it. He showed patience. And how often we need to show patience as well. No doubt he was aware that there would be adversaries, that there would be enemies, opponents, if you like, who were already in Jerusalem and who weren't happy that Nehemiah had come back in order to try and rebuild the walls in order to try and raise back up again the city and in order to resurrect the people of God into a nation once again. So with all things in this particular occasion, God's mission, the enemy wants to attack. We see Nehemiah's assessment of the situation. He goes around after the three days the walls of the city, broken down, destructed, burnt. And he assesses them and he sees exactly what is needed to be done. But we notice that he specifically says that he didn't go with any of the nobles, with any of the priests or with any others. You see, he kept what he had in his heart, what God had said to him, as a secret. Because again showed wisdom. Others didn't know. Didn't need to know. Exactly what was going to happen. Because knowledge of the assignment that God had given him. Was going to inevitably encourage opposition from others. Then we see his approach of recruiting. 
those who were going to labour and help him rebuild the walls. What's wonderful here is how Nehemiah easily moves from being a wine cupbearer to the king into administration and assessor, into builder, into leader, into recruiter. Nehemiah has such ability and it just oozes out of him. And so he approaches many people within the city and he acknowledges the desperate situation that the Jewish and the Hebrew people are in. You see, he felt the shame of the nation. Supposed to be this great nation under this great God, Jehovah, yet the city which they loved had been destroyed. The temple that their God was present in had been destroyed. And so there was great shame amongst the people. This is very evident in those cultures in the Middle East and in Asia even today. We don't notice it just as much in the West because of our culture. But the people of those days would have taken on great shame. And so Nehemiah accepts the shame. And what's really interesting is it's for the first time he uses the word we instead of I. You see, he assumes his hat of being a Hebrew, just like the others. And so things now become us and we, not just I, as he recruits and encourages the rest of the people onto his side and as he predicts to them what's going to happen as he relates the mission that God has given to him and as he instills then enthusiasm into the work that they are about to carry out. He's ready for Jehovah God to work and he knows exactly what he's going to do. He motivates the people greatly. How does he motivate them? He motivates them by relating what Jehovah God had done. No doubt he related how Jehovah God had allowed King Artaxerxes to release him and provide him with all the tools and provide him with an army that protected him during the journey and provided him with everything that he needed in order to rebuild the walls. Don't forget, King Artaxerxes was a pagan king. He had no interest in Jehovah God's name being glorified again in the rebuilding of the temple and of the city, etc. In fact, even more than that, he had noticed that there was a little bit of animosity going on in Jerusalem and he'd actually just before Nehemiah put out an edict that said that the walls and the rest of the city were not to be built. Yet, when Nehemiah approached, using his wisdom, after he had assessed everything, then King Artaxerxes agreed to all of his demands. And so this was related to the people and must have motivated them to know that their God had not forgotten about them, that he was interested and wanted them to do that. This was Nehemiah's testimony, if you like. What a powerful tool our testimonies are. And so we should use them. 
people are not necessarily going to be struck when we quote Bible verses at them. But it's how we live. It's, it's what we say. It's the story that we tell of our great God that will motivate many, many people. And so there was excitement amongst everyone. But with this excitement and with this movement of God always comes difficulty, usually thrown at us by the enemy. So we have to see the approach of conflict management that Nehemiah used. The opponents identify themselves. They had previously anyway, but here we have Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem, the three main culprits. Sanballat was the governor of the northern province of Samaria above Jerusalem. Tobiah was in charge to some extent of the eastern area. Geshem was then coming from the south. And so you find that the north, east and south of Jerusalem were all covered by these three men, Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem. To the west was really the Mediterranean. And so Jerusalem was really surrounded. And so the motivation that Nehemiah had to instill in the people in order to do this must have been so great. Because they would have been looking and knowing that they were surrounded and feared perhaps for their lives. But these three, Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem, what do they do? Well, it was a political anger that they threw at the people, but it was cloaked in religiosity. You see, Sambalat was from Samaria, which was partly Jewish, mixed up by various others, because the Assyrians had dispersed the northern kingdom, you may remember. And Tobiah, well, he had a lot of influence in the temple area and knew a lot of the priests and socialized with them. So there was a lot of religiosity there. And yet what appears really is political anger, jealousy. And that's where the mockery and the ridicule comes from. That's why these three men verbally assault Nehemiah. But Nehemiah is in good company, isn't he? Many people have been verbally assaulted for being followers of God. Perhaps even you've been verbally assaulted for being a follower of God. You're in good company. Nehemiah's response is that he doesn't stoop to their lies, but he shows great discernment. Great discernment. That was part of the conflict management that Nehemiah showed. I want to speak to you about Pastor Raymond Coe, someone who knew mockery, ridicule, someone who had been verbally assaulted and threatened as well. On a number of occasions, Pastor Coe had received a blow from his enemies, if you like, from the authorities, but also from the religious side of things in the country of Malaysia. He'd been sent bullets in the post as a threat to get him to stop the work that he was doing and most of the work that he was doing was very much for the benefit of all the community 
drug rehab centres, charity work, a clinic for abused women, amongst many, many other things. On the 10th of February 2017, uh, Pastor Coe had spoken to a number of, of people here in Ireland. On the 13th of February 2017, three days later, he left his wife Susanna, kissed her goodbye, drove down a highway on the outskirts of Kuala Lumpur and was surrounded by three black SUVs that bucked his car in. Two silver Hyundais after that then stopped the traffic and two motorcyclists after that then kept the traffic back from the scene. While they got out, took Pastor Raymond out of his car, threw him into one of the SUVs and then drove off. It was precision abduction carried out in roughly about 45 seconds. You can see this online if you go onto our website. There is CCTV coverage of this particular abduction. Pastor Raymond hasn't been seen since. His wife Susanna has fought on many, many different levels in order to raise awareness to this, in order to get the authorities to look into it. But nothing has really been done and Pastor Raymond is still missing all these years later. If you go on to our website, www.releaseinternational.org, I'd love to encourage you to do that and go on to the free Raymond part of our website. And on that, you'll find a petition where we're trying to encourage UK believers to sign the petition, which we will then send to the authorities in order to call for more to be done to investigate his disappearance. You'll see the CCTV footage of the abduction, as I mentioned to you earlier. You'll see some pictures of his family, his wife, Susanna, the children. He has three kids, Jonathan, Elizabeth and Esther. And if you go on and see that, then perhaps you'll be prompted to sign the petition with us as we try to be again a voice for persecuted Christians. Should you want to receive our magazine, uh, please get in touch with me. My email address is on the screen there as well as my mobile telephone number, or simply go on to our website where you can sign up for the magazine as well. You can also sign up for weekly prayer alerts where we can give some information on some things that need our prayers in some of the countries in which we work. I want to thank you so much for listening, and I pray just that you will continue to remember those in prison those who suffer, particularly Pastor Raymond and his wife Susanna and family. Uh, love to hear from you if you want anything further on that. But thank you so much for listening and please do remember those who suffer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that 
you are the king over everything, over the world, over this land, over our culture. We thank you, Father, that this church are and continue to be a light on the hill into the community in order that they might shine before the people. And so, God, we just remember them, all of them, and bring them before you. Father, remember those who are ill at this particular time and are members of the church or associated in some way to the church fellowship. Lord, pray for all those who are ill, who need the healing hand of God upon them. So we pray, Father, in your grace, your mercy and your love, Touch those people right now. Whether they listen now, or Father, whether they're unable to listen, still we pray the merciful hand of God, the healing hand of God upon their lives in the name of Jesus Messiah. Pray, Father, for the minister. Pray for Reverend Boyd that you would sustain him, that you would keep him encouraged, that, Father, you would uplift him, that, Father, he would be able to minister to the people to the best of his ability during these strange, uncertain times. Father, we just pray that your word will continue to go forth and that lives will continue to be changed, that people will be moulded and made into being better followers of Jesus. We pray, Father, protection over all the members, Father, of First Rathfriend Presbyterian Church. Lord, we need you at this time in particular. We need you every day, Father. And we pray your protection upon the people now. Protect them from the evil one, but protect them, Father, also from illness. Father, which we are surrounded by and hear so much of on our television screens. And Father, we just pray that you would continue to allow this fellowship to be a shining light on a hill into the community, spreading the good news of Jesus Messiah. May he be their focus. May he be their delight. And we pray this all in that name which is above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.
Now the benediction of Lord blessing. May the Lord Jehovah bless you and keep you. May the Lord Jehovah make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord Jehovah lift up his face, turn his gaze towards you and give you shovel peace. Amen. Take my rest.